All right, lesson number six on the Revelation. I call this one the four orders of saints. And I must admit before we get into it, I have never heard anybody teach on what I'm about to teach in all the studies that I have been doing on the Revelation, reading after all the great authors and theologians and eschatologists. Only one hinted at this after I had kind of already finished the lesson. I thought, well, maybe I'm not too far off. As a, as a pastor and a teacher, when you start teaching something you've never heard anybody teach or seen anybody write about, you, you get very cautious because you think, surely nobody, I'm, I'm not the first guy to see this, and I surely don't want to mislead the body. But I think you'll be able to very clearly see what I'm teaching, and the end result, what I'm aiming for, and what it did for me is edification, where you realize the, the overall message of this lesson is don't compare yourselves among yourselves. And that's biblical, so we, we have a safety net there, in that you can't compare yourself to Noah because you're not called to build a boat. And you can't compare yourself to Paul because you're not called to write two-thirds of the New Testament. So you have to figure out who you are in Christ, what your race is, what your lane is, and finish that. So that's the overall heart of this message. Because for me, I, I lived under fear of death for many years thinking I would die a martyr. And I would call my pastor up and say, it's on me again. I think I'm going to die a martyr. He'd say, not your race. That's the early church. That's the end-time martyrs. That's not your race. Your job is to preach this gospel and prepare the church for the Lord's return. That really helped me. This, ver this, this lesson here will show that even more. But we've got to look at a lot of stuff. So we call this the four orders of saints. So let's jump in this. What is a saint? That's the very first thing we must answer. What is a saint? Because if you're like me, raised in America, you think Catholic instantly. If you're like me, some of you are like me, some of you are not like me. Some of you are not as good looking as me. So maybe that's, no. <laughs> According to the Bible languages, a saint is any person who serves God with holiness and reverence, period. That's what a saint is, anybody who serves God with holiness and reverence. There is nothing Catholic about saints. They don't have the corner market on saints. In fact, to become a Catholic saint, you basically have to work a couple miracles and do a couple things and... And I don't know. So, I don't know. Both Old and New Testaments uh, speak of saints. Saints is not just a New Testament thing. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It's an Old and New Testament. And we've got to, that's, that's helping us to build this little doctrine here. The Old Testament refers to God's people as saints 34 times. So, 34 times anybody who's serving God is referenced as a saint. That would include Adam. That would include Abraham. That would include David. That would include Samson. That would include Ruth. These are all called saints. Uh, the Lord is called the king of saints. That's a pretty cool term for our God. He's the king of saints. Amen. And we will see that each of the four orders of saints had unique callings, assignments, and destinies in God Almighty. And we will see that God relates to each of them differently. And this is where I really think it'll help us. If we can recognize what our calling is in God, where we fall among these four orders or classifications, it'll encourage us to realize we don't have to worry about something that's not ours. I don't worry about my neighbor's yard because it's not mine. I don't worry about my neighbor's truck because it's not mine. I don't worry about my neighbor's kids because they're not mine. I've got my own race and run and truck and yard and kids to worry about. And so if we can find out who we are and where we are in Christ and in this period of time, you'll, you'll stand a little taller and say, praise the Lord, I don't have to worry about that. 
I don't have to worry about that. When you go to the Olympics, you know exactly what you're going to compete in. If you're a sprinter, you don't have to worry about the marathon. And you say, thank God, I don't have to worry about a marathon. I just have to run 100 yards as fast as possible. And if you're a shot putter, I guess you got an Olympic medal for being able to throw a metal ball. Yay you, you're an Olympian. Like, I don't know. I mean, really, that's an Olympic event, shot putting. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, running or judo or equestrian or water polo. My job is to throw the ball. And that's what you get a gold medal for. If you know, maybe some of you are just shot putters in the kingdom. You just show up and put the shot or shot the put or whatever they do. If you figure out who and what you are, you can focus on that and not try to be something you're not or worry about it. Amen. Revelation 17, 5. And I saw the woman, this is talking about the whore of Babylon, drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. You see two classifications there. The blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. This passage from the Revelation references the whore of Babylon. It helps us to see the two major orders of saints, those before the cross and those after the cross. There were plenty of martyrs for God before the cross, but they were not the martyrs or the te- they didn't testify of Jesus because Jeremiah didn't know Jesus. Adam didn't know Jesus, not like we know Jesus. Now, the Lord appeared to him, but they didn't know him by his salvation name of Jesus the Christ. Moses didn't know Jesus like we know Jesus, but they were still saints. And many of them were, were sawn asunder. You know, Jesus Christ came along and said, you that did murder the prophets, you that did slay the prophets. This is one classification. And then after the cross, anybody that dies for God is called, uh, that hold the testimony or the martyrs of Jesus. So we see there from the very beginning, two instant groups, saints before the cross and saints after the cross. The whore has been killing saints from the beginning. And we need to understand that he, that she, it's a spiritual thing, a spirit system. She hates those that serve God, both Old Testament and New Testament. This lesson will help to reveal the nature of our calling, our assignment, and our relationship with God through Jesus Christ as the church. And that's what's very critical. We're going to see that a couple of times. The, 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 body, the, the body of believers after the cross but before the rapture is called the church. Nobody before the resurrection was ever called the church. Nobody after the rapture is ever called the church. We are a unique order of saints. We have unique authority. We have a unique relationship with God. That, that makes us special, but not any more special than Adam. Not any more special than, than Moses. We're all special in that regard only because God called us in a certain way. After the rapture, those aren't called the church. They're not even called the body. This also helps us, us to work out the doctrine, what is the bride of Christ? Because it is a common, erroneous teaching that the, body, the bride of Christ is the church. But the revelation teaches us very clearly the heavenly Jerusalem is the bride and she's adorned with the righteous deeds of the saints. Every believer from Adam to the second coming of Christ. So it doesn't make sense that Jesus would just marry the church when the church is his body. Anybody here ever marry your own body? I'm sure they're trying to pioneer that in San Francisco right now. It doesn't make sense. But it does make sense that Jesus would be espoused or united with everyone who ever believed and served him from, to the time of their death. That makes more sense, and that's what the Revelation teaches. 
All right. After all, we can't run our race if we don't know our lane or the route. You know, I've, I've done a lot of uh, long-distance races. You've got to know the route is, where, what, what the route is. Otherwise, you don't finish your race. And if you ever run on track, you have to stay in your lane. If you ever get out of your lane, you disqualify. So this teaching will help us to understand what the church is in comparison to the other orders of saints. So, saints in the hall of faith. The famous Hebrews 11 hall of faith readily demonstrates to us that God uses uniquely called saints or holy ones from the very beginning, though their walk, their personal walk with Jehovah and their assignments all varied. Think about all the Old Testament saints. They all had something different going on with God. There are three Bible dispensations represented by the saints referenced in the hall of faith. Now, we have a whole lesson on dispensationalism and how to study the Bible and it begins with innocence and ends with the millennial reign of Christ. But in the hall of faith under the Old Testament, there's three different dispensations. A dispensation is a season of time where God relates to man and, and holds man accountable to the degree with which God has revealed himself to man. All right, I guess I need to explain that a little bit. So like before Moses in the law, God was not dealing with anybody according to laws. But once the law came, you can't go back. Now you're accountable. And, and now that Jesus Christ has come, he changed and rolled over a new dispensation called the church age or the dispensation of grace. We can't go back under the law. When the rapture happens and, and the tribulation kicks back in and the millennial reign of Christ kicks in, we don't get to go backwards. We now have to continue walking forward with Christ, with how he's revealed himself to mankind. It's like your kids the older they get, you don't get, they don't get to go backwards. Once you come out of diapers, you don't go backwards unless you're in a nursing home or something. Once you can walk, you don't get to go back to crawling. You, you have to advance in life. And that's kind of the essence of dispensationalism. There's a lot more to it than that, obviously. So in, in the Hall of Faith, we see three dispensations of God relating to man represented there. So the age of conscience, that refers to Abel, Enoch, and Noah. These all served God before the flood. The age of conscience is where man was conscious of his own sin. He's kicked out of the garden. Uh, you know, you had the age of innocence, which was in the garden. They got kicked out. They couldn't go back. Now they're aware of their sin. Now they realize they need a Savior. They need a God to redeem them. There was no covenant between God and man in this time. Yet they served God and accomplished his will. So Abel, Enoch, and Noah, they all lived by faith. They all pleased God, but they had no covenant. Moses hadn't come. The law hadn't come. And yet they served God, and they weren't even Jews. They weren't even called patriarchs. They were just men that walked with God, and they were found pleasing in the sight of God because they believed him. They all had a unique relationship with God. These are Old Testament saints. We don't call them the church. We don't call them Jews. We just call them saints. Holy, they, they, they served God with holiness and reverence, and they obeyed God. After the flood, you became the age of promise, and the promise was, I'll never do this again. And that became the age of promise. And that starts with Abraham, also the promised son. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, these all served God during the dispensation of promise. And again, we're just looking at the dispensations of saints. God made his first covenant with Abraham. That's the first time we ever see God make a covenant. Now, there is one with Noah that he won't do the earth, destroy the earth again. But this covenant that I will make of you a great nation, I'll give you a son. Your offspring will be like the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea. This made Abraham and all his future descendants unique. 
This made, listen, that made Abraham and all of his future descendants unique because God made a promise to him. Now, when you study Deuteronomy, the Lord kind of rubs it in the Jew's face. He said, God didn't love you because you were special. He said, God didn't love you because you were great. God didn't love you because you were many. He said, because you obviously are the least of all the nations. God loved you because he would keep his promise to your father, Abraham. That doesn't really make you feel special when God only loves you because he's keeping his word to somebody else. But that's what God said about his love for them. These men were not referred to as Jews, but as the patriarchs. Jacob and Joseph died in Egypt, but their offspring flourished, becoming a great people called Israel. And they all had a unique relationship with God. These are called the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So that brings us to Moses uh, well, under the age of law, Moses and Joshua. Now, these are all the folks mentioned in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, having not received the promise, but having been convinced of them, saw them far off, persuaded, embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in a foreign land. These are these folks. Moses and Joshua served God under the dispensation of law. So they're still saints, but they're not the church. And we can't compare ourselves to them thinking, well, this or that. Well, no, we're, we're who we're supposed to be. Your spirit being that you are, the Bible says God breathed into you the breath of life when you were conceived. He's called the father of spirits. He knew exactly when he wanted you born. Even though your DNA came from mom and dad, the essence of who you are, the essence that will live for eternity was ordained of God to be born when you were born by the will of God. We can't figure that out. We can't understand that. He specifically gave the the conceived child that your parents conceived. You all had parents, right? Just making sure. I mean, even if you were the test tube baby that we first did, you still had donor parents. And God, God honored that. There's all that debate now, well, God, well, it's cloning ethical. Cloning ethics doesn't bother me. The question is, will God honor it? I think he will because it's in line with the science of his creation. I think we can clone Dr. James. It'll be a Dr. James lookalike, but God will breathe into it a different spirit. It's not going to be anything like Dr. James. It's just going to look like him. In fact, God invented cloning years ago when he had twins. So just because you can do it in a laboratory doesn't mean God's impressed with it. And I always joke about, yeah, we, we cheered 20 years ago when they cloned a sheep. Really? Dolly, I think, was her name. You cloned a sheep. They all look the same anyway. How do we really know you cloned a sheep? Seriously. Anyway. Moses and Joshua served God under the dispensation of law, and they served by leading God's people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Now, we learn things from these men, and we can, in a balanced sense, compare ourselves and say, well, They messed up and God forgave them. I messed up. God will forgive me too. We can do that. But we don't try to run a race like them because we have different races. Plus, their race is way done finished. They set examples. They're written. These things are written as an example for us. But we don't try to compare ourselves to their race. We go further and we do better. Then you have Rahab. She served God by believing him, delivering the spies, and was then chosen to become the great-grandmother of David and progenitor of Jesus Christ. These, these are all saints, but they all have different races to run. They all have different walks with God, and God judges them all differently based on what they're given. Rahab is a famous Bible character, but her, her, her job was totally different than Moses, totally different than Samson's. 
and yet she served God, and she was a saint. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah all served God under the dispensation of law, but during the time of the judges. This was after Moses, but before the king. So again, you're seeing a uni another unique set of Old Testament saints. You can categorize and lump these guys together in, in these groupings. They served in a totally different way than those before and after them. These guys were military leaders. They kind of followed in the footsteps of Joshua. But they served God. They weren't kings, but they weren't prophets really either. And they certainly weren't Moses, yet they were under the law, but they, they were different. And that's what we need to understand as saints. God has given us a unique calling, a unique age in which to live. We weren't even born 100 years ago. Now, maybe one or two of you were. I wasn't born 100 years ago. I think Ma was born 100 years ago. We weren't born 200 years ago. We weren't born in the Dark Ages. We weren't born during the Reformation. We were born, as, as Mordecai said, for such a time as this. And I like what Mordecai tells Esther because she got a little scared about confronting the king. He said, look, don't think you will escape the king's wrath if you keep your peace. He said, for I tell you, you'll die with us and God will raise somebody else up to do your job. That isn't exactly an encouraging word. That just kind of says, get out there and do it afraid because God's going to deliver us one way or another. And if you don't do it, you die and he'll get somebody else to do it. That kind of motivates me to go, oh, I'm afraid, but I'm going to keep walking. Just these are scared steps. <laughs> then you have uh, David, Samuel, and the prophets. They served Jehovah during the time of the kings. These each had a relationship with God that was unique to their time and assignment. All who came before the life of Jesus are referred to as Old Testament saints. And hopefully we understand that. Together, those Old Testament saints were the captivity that Jesus Christ led captive out of hell. Sheol, Hades. Sheol in the Hebrew, Hades in the Greek, or the grave. Many of these saints were resurrected from the graves after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that's a little creepy and spooky, that when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, so did a whole bunch of Old Testament saints. They were resurrected in Jerusalem and they walked around and witnessed. That was your first resurrection. One of your first resurrectings from the dead is almost a forerunner of the rapture. Didn't say a lot of them, didn't say all of them. It said many, many of the saints were resurrected when Jesus Christ. That just lets you know how much the power of God came into the tombs to raise up Jesus. It didn't raise up pagans because there's no resurrection for them. It raised up saints. Amen. It's neat. You only have two verses testifying of it, but it's fascinating. Ephesians chapter four, verse eight. Therefore, it, said when he, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Jesus Christ, when he came up out of hell, a lot of folks don't want to believe that Jesus went to hell, but the Bible says it about five or six different places. Psalm 16, Acts 2, uh, Acts 10. Uh, it says basically, you won't leave my soul in hell. Well, if it says you won't leave my soul in hell, then where did his soul go? Hell. Good news is it wasn't left there. But that's where all the saints were was hell. Now, that probably causes for a little bit of teaching on hell. Hell had two compartments divided in the midst by the abyss. At the bottom of the abyss is what's called Tartarus. That's where the chains, the, the angels are held in chains awaiting their day of judgment. There's the abyss that the, the demon horde comes out of in the Revelation, he, headed by uh, Apollyon. But you had a great gulf fix, according to Luke 15. And you had Abraham's bosom or paradise in the grave because nobody went to heaven before Jesus Christ was resurrected. Which begs the question, where did Elijah go? Because he went up in a whirlwind. But he couldn't have gone to heaven. So I don't know if it was like, roop, roop. 
but he went to, everybody went to Abraham's bosom. So that's where the rich man, uh, he went to hell, so did Lazarus. But Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, the rich man was in torments, and they could see each other across this great gulf, this great canyon. But when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and the Bible tells us in Peter, he preached to the captives in prison, he took that whole body of believers, the Old Testament saints, and he led them captive into heaven. And we know that paradise is in heaven now because Paul said, when I went to heaven, I was called up into paradise. It's no longer in the grave. It's in heaven now. Now, that's a whole bunch of other teaching for another time. After, the res after Christ's resurrection, the believers or saints are called the church. That's what we are. Church is the Greek word ekklesia. It means called out ones. It means called out from private into public. That means when we go to church, we go publicly. I don't get home church. I understand starting a church in the home, and then it grows because God blesses it. I understand that. So then you've got to go into the public market. Unless, of course, you live in, in you know, Islamic countries or communist countries, then you have underground churches, but they still run two and 3,000 underground. So it's still kind of public. I don't get home church. I don't get home streaming. I don't get doing church at home. I don't get that. I don't think it's biblical. I think it's comfortable, but I don't think it's biblical. Because how do we change society if we're private in our underwear streaming? Yeah. All right. So the body of Christ. Now we're called the body of Christ. We're called New Testament saints. The New Testament or New Covenant has been in effect for 2,000 years, and it is the longest running covenant God has ever made. It's the longest running dispensation. Even the millennial reign of Christ won't be as long as the church age. And of course, we, we recognize that this speaks to God's mercy and God's grace. He's very merciful. The church is much like Methuselah. The man who lived the longest, but his name meant after this one dies, the judgment comes. And when Methuselah died, right? Noah's flood came. The church. Methuselah's the right name, right? All right, because I'm going through Mahel Shalal Hashbaz, that's not it. Mephibosheth, that's not it. Shibboleth, that's not it. It's got to be Methuselah. All those Jewish names. That's why you name your kid Chuck. I can see Methuselah or Mahel Shalal Hashbaz. I think that's Isaiah chapter 6 or 8. Trying to do the SAT. Ma, you know, doing the circles. Mahel Shalal. I only have 12 characters. Mahal Shalal. <laughs> Who names their kid? Well, the Lord told Isaiah to name his kid Mahel Shalal Hashbaz. You know what that word means in the Hebrew? Quick to the booty, quick to the plunder. Challenge me on it. That's what it means. Isaiah 8, or maybe it's 7. Mahel Shalal Hashbaz. Quick to the booty, quick to the plunder. In comparison to Isaiah chapter 9's child. Behold, a child is born, and he shall be called the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and of the increase of his kingdom shall be no end. The two comparisons. Isaiah had a boy. It was a contrast to Christ. That's first 10 chapters of Isaiah. All right, so I'm not naming any of my kids Mahel Shalal Hashbaz, because you can't get that embroidered on a Christmas stocking <laughs> New Testament saints you guys are burning up all of our time this morning we should quickly move I got three more pages New Testament saints from Acts 1 to Revelation 3:22 are uniquely called the church and you need to know that we are uniquely called the church when we are raptured according to the Bible nobody else gets called the church nobody else gets called the body 
you should feel blessed and honored that Jesus Christ breathed your spirit into your parents' donor material when you were conceived for such a time as this, to be a part of the church. They didn't get to cast out devils or have authority like we did under the Old Testament. They didn't get to have Jesus Christ living on the inside of them like we do under the Old Testament. They didn't get to build the church like we do under the Old Testament. We're special. If you ever want to feel special, there. Feel special. But now I'd also say live up to your potential because you have God on the inside of you. They didn't have that under the Old Testament. The Bible does not describe any other order of saints in these terms. Just as there were different kinds of Old Testament saints, there have been different groups of New Testament saints, each called by God to walk with him in unique manners. So even in the church, there's been unique orders or subclassifications in the church. You had the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We know those guys. But none of us are the 12 apostles. They were Jews selected by Jesus Christ. They became the first to be born again except for Judas. He hanged himself. Matthias replaced him. These were the uh, men were the Lord's first disciples and among the first to be born again after the resurrection. Their uniqueness among the New Testament saints is evidenced by the fact that their names and their names alone are written on the 12 foundations on the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem. It's unique. Nobody else gets to be that. Matthias replaced Judas the traitor. Revelation 21 says, In the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Not even the great apostle Paul's name is written there. Not even Paul's is there. Our names will not be there either, and you can't go there and write it later. <laughs> Kilroy was here. Wendell was here. Wendell Hart Ginger. You can't do that. I think you'll be in trouble with the Lord. This testifies to the unique calling and purpose of these 12 men. And don't worry, you're not going to die like they did. Amen. The beholding saints, this is what I call them the beholding saints. This group of 500 plus believers are a small, unique group that Jesus Christ selected to reveal himself to in bodily form after his resurrection. Now, this included some of the, the apostles of the Lamb, but obviously 488 other folks. It is apparent that this is a special group of saints for they are limited in number and these special occurrences are specifically described in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. This list begins with Peter or Cephas and concludes with Paul. And Paul makes this interesting statement about these theophanies. Theophany is a theological term for a divine appearance of God. He says, and last of all, Jesus was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. Notice G, uh, Paul says, last of all, which means the manner in which Jesus Christ appeared to Paul doesn't happen anymore. Because last of all, Paul was the last one to, be, to see him like that. We, I, I have a personal belief, you can't prove it or disprove it, that all the New Testament authors saw Jesus in this special manner. Jude, James, Peter, obviously, would have been there. John, the, the, apostle, uh, the gospel writers. Because these, Paul was the last one, he was the, he was the major author of the New Testament, but they seem to have had this divine appearance from Jesus Christ in bodily form in a unique way, and they also became these writers of the New Testament. Just, just a thought, just an observation. This verse seems to indicate that the Lord Jesus Christ no longer appears to believers today like he did to that unique group of New Testament saints. Now, does he appear today? Absolutely. Just not like how he did then. How did he do it back then? We can see a few things in the Gospels in bodily form, having dinner with them, 
disappearing after he ate a fish and reappearing someplace else, telling them, thrust your hand in my side, put your finger in my nail print. He doesn't do that today. Today, when we hear testimonies of it, it's a spiritual experience. It's a vision. It's a trance. It's a dream. He is appearing, but not in this bodily form that we saw throughout the Gospels and, of course, in Paul's experience in the book of Acts. These saints were part of a unique group given this rare honor and time. Jesus will not appear to us in this manner. So don't expect it. Wonderful thing is you don't have to be born again you don't have to have this experience to be born again. You can just, as Paul told in Thessalonians, whom having not seen you love. We don't have to see him to love him. It's called faith. And Paul's uh, Lord told Titus, uh, T- Timothy, uh, Thomas, he said, you're blessed because you believe, but you believe because you saw. More blessed are those who never see and yet believe. Then we have foundational apostles and prophets. Uh, Ephesians 2 says, now therefore... Are you no more strangers and foreigners? Thank God for that. But fellow citizens with the saints. That would be all saints. And of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We know there are still apostles and prophets today. Because the saints still need to be perfected. But we don't have foundational apostles and prophets anymore. The foundation has already been laid for the New Testament church. The New Testament authors are good examples of foundational apostles and prophets. There were eight New Testament authors, but over 24 apostles mentioned therein. Over 24 apostles mentioned throughout the New Testament. Not just the 12 apostles and Paul, 24 total. Epaphroditus is considered an apostle. I'm drawing blanks on the other 20, you know, or however many there are. But there's many of them. They were the foundational We're not laying the foundation anymore. Now, as Paul said, be careful how you build upon the foundation. No one alive today can be a foundational apostle or prophet. Also, there's no more writings going on. John concluded that. He sealed the book. And the Lord said, don't add to this, don't take away from this. So that also concludes and confirms we no longer have foundational apostles and prophets. Yet they were New Testament saints. Yet they're the part of the church. But we're seeing that there's these classifications of orders in the, new, in the body of Christ, in the calling of, of God's people. So we have to find our place. Now again, to just briefly pause, I'm teaching this so that when we start reading the bad stuff that's going down during the tribulation, you don't freak out and think it's going to happen to you. Because one of the main purposes of this total study is to give you such confidence and clarity in these last days. The closer we get to the rapture and the tribulation, the worse it will get. But it's not coming nigh us. We live in Goshen spiritually. The word Goshen means to draw near. If we're drawing near to God, don't sweat it. If you're living for the devil, you can have the devil's delight. But we don't live for the devil. Amen. All right. Then that brings us to the church universal. And that's what we're part of. I don't mean anything spooky by that. But we just mean every born again believer since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everybody. The universal church. Not the universalist church. They're pagans. They're going to hell because they don't believe Jesus is the only way. This is the body of Christ and every member in particular with all of its giftings, callings, anointings, and assignments among every nation, tribe, and tongue. This isn't just the Church of Christ. This isn't just the Baptists. This isn't just the Assemblies of God. This is everybody who's called on the name of Jesus, the body of Christ worldwide. 
The church universal is still at it today, praise God, preaching the gospel, establishing churches, making disciples, casting out devils, and advancing the kingdom. You can't stop this gospel. The more you pressurize it, the worse it comes back and bites you. It's awesome. The, the church flourishes the most under persecution and affliction. Man, it just, it just brings the best out of the church. I have to admit, I've prayed for persecution for the American church the last couple of years. So if you're upset, blame me a little bit. Then I ask why you couldn't handle a little bit of American persecution. It's like getting sick on the little kitty ride at the fair. <laughs> you're in the little rocket going in circles that are like five foot in diameter. I don't feel so good. I don't. Grow up. Let's go ride the big adult roller coasters. You know, the ones that are a thousand feet tall and do 90 miles an hour in one second. That's the Chinese church. <laughs> the American church is riding the little pony at Kmart going, oh, I don't feel so good. I don't feel so good. Jesus, please rapture me. Life is so hard. <laughs> I, there's a roller coaster at Kings Island in Cincinnati called The Beast, which is a good name because it's a useless roller coaster. It's like the longest wooden roller coaster in the world. I rode it once as a young man and hated it. I, I came out, every bone was out of alignment, my teeth. That's like, the, that's like the Middle Eastern church. That's what they have to go through. And we have the little rocket ship that just rocks back and forth in the front of Walmart for a quarter, and some Christians can't handle that. Please, Jesus, rapture me. Come any day now, Lord. Please, my life is so hard. My marriage is so bad. Please rapture me. Please deliver me. Yeah, I know. All right, we're picking on you a little bit. Dispensational transition. Let's get out of this dispensation, Pastor. Go on to something that's not us. It's too painful when you talk about me, unless you're talking about me the way I want you to talk about me. And I'll tell you how I want you to talk about me because I'll post it on Facebook. And then you can like it and share it. The church's rapture will reinstate Daniel's uh, final week of Jewish and prophetic time. So when the rapture happens, we, we transition dispensations. So things switch up. Church age is done. However, this final period of seven years will be very unique in that though it will be Jewish in nature and emphasis, Jesus Christ has already been resurrected, sin has been atoned for, and salvation has been purchased. So we have something unique. It's Jewish time, but Messiah has come, died, and been resurrected and atoned for everything. So it's going to produce a unique spiritual situation. This will produce two more unique orders of saints, neither of which are ever biblically called the church or the body of Christ. This doesn't happen until the church is raptured. This happens from Revelation chapter uh, 6 on to Revelation chapter 19. So the first order that I present is the 144,000 Jewish servants. And we'll see why I call them a unique order, because this is a very small sliver of body or, or believers, because 144,000 is a small, that's a small number. These unique saints are called the servants of our God. They're never called the church. They're never called the body of Christ. They're called the servants of our God. The angel places the seal of God, that's the word for like a signet ring, in the forehead of 12,000 men from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. In the vision, John sees the 144,000 servants. They're sealed on earth. And the next thing he sees is an innumerable multitude from all over the earth in heaven worshiping the Lamb. It's believed by your, your best theologians and scholars that these 144,000 servants will be evangelists on the order of the Apostle Paul. 
they only have a few years to do their work. And the Bible tells us they're virgins, so they don't marry, so they're not distracted by family. So they just run to and fro on the whole earth, preaching the gospel. They are on fire. They're like Paul burning the candle from both ends and cutting the candle in half and burning those ends too, because they got a short time. However, they will win very few Jews to the Lord, and it's evidence for temple worship will continue in Jerusalem until the abomination of desolation. And even after the desolation, the Jewish remnant is told to flee Israel for the wilderness. So most folks agree that these 144,000 witnesses, they don't win many Jews that first three and a half years of the tribulation. There are just not many Jews converting to Christ because they're excited to be able to worship in the temple again. We know they worship in the temple because there has to be one for the Antichrist to defile at the midweek point or the mid-tribulation point. If there's that much Jewish popularity going on, nobody's converting to Christianity, but the nations are. The other tribes and tongues are. Those outside Israel are. And it's evident that these 144,000 go throughout the world. Otherwise, how do you win every nation, tribe, and tongue? You don't do it in Israel. You do it traveling the world. And with today's travel, you can be anywhere in the world in 36 hours. Hop on an airplane, and in a week, you got revival. Anywhere in the world. All right? The next time the Bible records 144,000 is in heaven in Revelation 14. And it says, And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man, now this is what makes, I think makes them unique. This is why I present them as the third classification of saints. No man could sing the song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. We don't get to sing this song. Moses doesn't get to sing this song. Noah doesn't know the song. Paul doesn't know the song, only these guys. And furthermore, I don't know if I've got it in this lesson. I've got it in another lesson. Uh, the Bible calls them the first fruits unto God, which indicates that these are the first to get born again after the rapture. They're not the first fruits of salvation because that happened in John chapter 20 or 21. They're the first to be born again in the, after the, when the tribulation starts. They're the first fruits unto God and perhaps definitely the first fruits of Israel back to God. It makes them a unique group. Their race is not ours. There's no evidence they build the church. They're just winning the lost. There's no evidence they're church planners. That's why they're believed to just be strictly evangelists. Evangelists are horrible pastors. I mean, I've been to churches where the pastor was supposed to be an evangelist. You could tell this is a weird church. There's no regular feeding here. Everybody's excited, but they got nowhere to go because they're not trained how to build the church. They, they're just an energetic group that's fired up, has horrible doctrine, and wins the lost. That's not a church. That's an evangelism station. These guys aren't pastors. These guys aren't apostles. These are witnesses. What do witnesses do? Witness. They're evangelists. There's no evidence churches are being built during this time because it's almost like folks are getting born again and they're dying the next day. All right. So their uniqueness as saints is further attested to by their testimony. They have the seal of God in their foreheads. We don't have the seal of God in our foreheads. The Bible never says that. We're sealed with the Holy Ghost inward, but nothing about our forehead. They sing a new song unique only to them. Nobody else gets to know this song. They are virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They are redeemed from among men. They are the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. This fact 
which seemed to imply they are the first to be born again during the tribulation. In their mouth was found no guile. Well, that, you know that eliminates the church. <laughs> they are without fault before the throne of God. These are all things that are, are, you know, there's some of those that overlap to us. We're redeemed from among men. We want to follow the Lamb. Uh, we are without fault when we get to before the throne of God. But all this combined together makes this a unique classification. It's evident there's 144,000 of them. And unless you're a Jehovah's Witness, you're not one of these. <laughs> and I got news for you. If you are a Jehovah's Witness, you're not one of these. <laughs> so they're a unique group. And it's, it's what God has done. We don't try to run their race. We don't fear to be like them. We are who God called us to be. Like Paul said in Corinthians, I am what I am by the grace of God. Find, you know, find who you are in Christ and embrace it, maximize it, and wear that thing out. Paul said, the grace that was given to me, by that little bit of grace, he said, I was the least of all the apostles. I was one born out of order, like a, like a runt of the litter. He said, but I, I outworked them all. Them all refers to the chief apostles. And I like pointing out that means Paul in that verse there in Corinthians said, I'm a harder worker than John. I'm a harder worker than Peter. I'm a harder worker than Matthias. I'm a harder worker than Thaddeus and Bartholomew. You didn't know there was one named Bartholomew, did you? Judas, the non-traitor. James, the less. He, he indicted them all. He indicted the 12 apostles of the Lamb by saying, I outwork them all. Bunch of lazy sluggards. You find out what the grace of God is on your life and you maximize it. You wear that thing out. What, what is the thing God's called you to do? You do it. If it helps ministry, then you become emperor of helps ministry. Is it evangelism? Man, you become just the meanest evangelist since the book of Acts. Is it worship leader? Then, man, you just practice your instrument. You practice your singing. You, you run your race. Don't worry about a race that hasn't even started yet. Yours is going. So many times I think we're afraid of somebody else's race when you've already been given one. The gunshot already went off for you. You're supposed to be running. Time's a-wasting. That brings us to tribulation saints. Tribulation saints, after seeing the 144,000 Jewish witnesses in Revelation 7, John looks and sees an innumerable multitude of all nations, kindreds, people, and languages. These are predominantly Gentile converts at the throne of God before the Lamb. They're clothed with white robes. They have palm fronds in their hands. We haven't seen that since Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And they are worshiping the Lord, and they cry with a loud voice, saying, Salvation unto our God, which sits upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. John doesn't recognize this body of believers which lets us know it's not the church. John's labored for the church at this point over 70 years, 60 years or so. He doesn't recognize this body. When asked who they are, the angel's reply does not reference the church. So we have a different order of saint here. The angel tells us specifically what kind of saints they are. These are the ones who come out of great tribulation. Now, sometimes we feel like our life is great tribulation, but it's nothing like this. These saints are also given promises unique to them. Uh, they are before the throne of God. They serve God night and day in his temple. God shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more. They shall thirst no more. So apparently they suffered that in their tribulation. The sun won't beat down on them anymore. They lived through some of those judgments, that intensified heat. The, they won't experience heat anymore. There's, that's one of the plagues of the tribulation is, is intense heat that burns men. The lamb shall feed them. They shall, the lamb shall lead them to living fountains of water. That, why is food and water mentioned twice? It's almost like that's part of the hell they go through. 
God shall wipe away all their tears. Who, who knows how much they suffer? Again, I'm excited because I'm not going to be a part of that. <laughs> they will rest from their labors. Some of you don't have to worry about that. You don't do anything. Just saying. Their works will follow them. I'm going to do a little bit of pastoring right now. <laughs> their works will follow them. They stand on the sea of glass, the sea of glass being all saints up until the rapture of the church. So they, they, they're not the sea of glass. They stand on top of the sea of glass. It's two different orders of saints. They are given the harps of God. The Bible never says we get the harps of God. I'm not offended at that, but you'll know them when you get to heaven because they'll have harps and you won't. They'll go, ring. Oh, you're the church. Huh. Ring. <laughs> uh, I would think maybe there's a classroom fight over that, but it's heaven, so I don't think it'll be anything like that. They sing the song of Moses. We don't even know what the song of Moses is, but they get to sing it. So you see these are unique promises to them. The martyred saints is kind of a sub-order uh, sub of these tribulation saints. Revelation records that some saints are called to be martyred. Thank God we're not called to be martyred. That is not our calling. Now, you can be if you want to be. And truth be told, I've read Fox's book of martyrs in the voice of the martyrs. A lot of folks are being martyred right now, but it's not true martyrdom. Most of it's wrong place at the wrong time. True martyrdom is you're given a choice. Deny Jesus Christ or die. Light the fire. But just being in the wrong place at the wrong time in a Christian in a pagan nation is not martyrdom. I, I hate to... I really studied martyrdom when the devil was telling me I was going to die one. I studied it backwards and forwards. And I found that most of the martyrs in the Bible died old men. And they'd finished their race and their family was grown and gone. That's what I found. Paul was a single man. Just I had to do a lot of research on it to calm my mind what was telling me I was going to die. Actually, next year will be the year the devil told me I was going to die a martyr. Seven years, you'll die a martyr, and you'll never see your kids raised. I didn't even have kids at the time. So I'm already laughing because I'm already feeling like, yeah, next year's going to be an even better year. Amen. They are unique, another unique set of saints given and set in time for the will of God, for their martyrdom is foreordained. You are not ordained for martyrdom. Revelation 6, 9 through 11, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Where's the love of God in all this? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for yet for a little season until their fellow servants also, and even their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled and completed. The Lord says, hold tight. There's more that are ordained to die like you were killed that must be killed. And the Lord wasn't going to stop it. And he says, then I will revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Jesus implied that not every believer would be martyred during the tribulation. He said, and you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you, some, not all, some of you shall they cause to be put to death. This group, the martyr saints, their uniqueness is indicated by the fact that they are given white robes and it is intimated that their martyrdom was foreordained. They are given orders unique to them. Rest for a little season under the altar until your fellow servants also and your brethren that should be killed as they were should be killed. Please hear me again. You are not called to martyrdom. So go, 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 go and preach the word and live. And The worst you'll suffer is a little bit of name calling and slander on Facebook. Oh, <laughs> collectively, 
All saints from Adam to the tribulation are called the heavenly Jerusalem. All saints from Adam to the tribulation are called the heavenly Jerusalem. Each category of saints has their own unique relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank God we walk out our salvation now. Thank God your race has already begun and you're already, some of you are halfway through it, some of you are just beginning it, some of you are nearing the end of it, but you got a race to run. Thank God we walk out salvation now. Rejoice in your calling and for your placement in time. Rejoice in that. Fear not and serve God. Amen. Does that all that make sense to you? Again, I've never seen anybody teach it or write on it. Tim LaHaye referenced it just briefly in one sentence, so I thought I knew I was on the right track, but it makes perfect sense to me. What it does for me more than anything is encourages me, I know my race, run harder. I don't have to worry about all of that. It's not my problem. The church is my problem, so I push on harder. Amen? Amen. Father, bless us as we study the revelation as you promised you would. We thank you, Lord, for giving us clarity and confidence. May we pick up the slack. May we pick up our cross. May we run with you. May we bear your burdens. May we bear the burdens for one another. And may we do a great labor of love for you in this kingdom. We love you, Lord. Bless all those that will listen to these lessons in the future. May it bring them courage and hope. May they not live their whole life afraid of death. I pray for anyone dealing with the spirit of death or depression or fear of martyrdom. May they be set free by this message. In Jesus' name, amen.